What prison are you in? Sean Stevenson, a man who suffered from brittle bone disease, was short in stature, but big in heart. With his type of disease, his parents were told that their newborn would be dead within the first 24 hours, but he outlived all negative predictions. In resisting all such naysayers, he became convinced that he was born to rid the world of insecurity. In his YouTube video titled, Are You Trapped in the Prison of Your Mind? He encouraged his listeners, never believe a prediction that doesn't empower you. If you believe predictions that do not empower you, you will wither away and die, either physically die or your spirit will die. Those predictions keep you frozen in your potential. Know, he said, that you bring value to the human race, regardless of your current condition, title, or stature. When he suffered a fatal brain injury, his last words were, this didn't happen to me, but for me. He lived his life in a spirit of hope until his last earthly breath. His life story is the backdrop to our examination of Acts chapter 16, which describes Paul's Philippi imprisonment. For like Sean, this didn't happen to him, but for him, and for so many, including us today. Through this passage, we can see so much was happening in the lives of not only Paul and his friend Silas, but in the lives of all those surrounding the incident. For many were suffering from their own form of imprisonment and sadly didn't even know it. They were, as Sean states, frozen in their own potential and withering away. Certainly the demon-possessed slave girl was, entrapped as she was by the python demon that gave her the ability to read fortunes, she was still ensnared by these demonic forces that controlled her mind. Further, she was virtually imprisoned by her masters who kept her enslaved to do their will and gain them money. When Paul delivered her from the demon, her masters had no use for her any longer. and We don't know actually what happened to her, but we do know that she was spiritually set free. And we can only hope that the new believers in Philippi were able to rescue her and bring her into a place of safety. Paul and Silas couldn't because as soon as Paul cast out the demon, her owners grabbed them and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. They created a whole riot by shouting, this whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Well, let's look at the nature of these negative predictions. They certainly address political, religious, cultural, and economic prisons that these men were living in. One, they indicated that Paul was creating political unrest in the city. As a Roman colony which enjoyed harmonious relations with the Roman overseers, the men of Philippi desired to squelch any insurrection that could destabilize the political security of their city. These men were imprisoned by their political beliefs and the sanctity of their role as Roman citizens. How many times have we seen this in our own country? People proudly associate themselves with their country and they deem themselves on the side of truth and justice according to their political views. This has become increasingly divisive over the last few years and the heated debates between party lines often blur rational thought and destroy genuine human welfare. Yet too many stand on their party platforms and shout down anyone who disagrees with them. 
Refusing to listen to any other view, they become imprisoned by their rabid dedication to political party, aggressively throwing aside even family members or friends that adopt another stance. In the case of the people of Philippi, not only were they proud of their affiliation to Rome, many people, in fact, worshipped the emperor and his family members as gods. And this cultic practice was a favorite religion in the region. Julius Caesar, for instance, was recognized as divine and later Augustus sought the same spiritual recognition and at his death was titled son of a god. This emperor worship unified the vast provinces of the Roman Empire and ensured that not only the army, but the people themselves would remain devoted to their august leader. Thus, it's easily seen that with the good news brought by Paul and Silas to the people of Philippi, accompanied as it was by the dramatic conversion of an economically successful seller of purple cloth and the spectacular deliverance of the fortune-telling slave girl, wow, their teeth were definitely set on edge. And trapped as they were by their various religious beliefs, from their worship of Apollo or Artemis or even the emperor, they were enraged to hear of the Son of God who could set people free from sin or demon possession. How were we doing with our religious beliefs? Are there ideas that we have developed, perhaps from childhood training, pastoral teaching, or personal convictions that have become so ingrained that we are unwilling or even angry when they're challenged? If that's the case, we need to beware. This can easily happen to us as it did to people in Paul's time. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthians addressing this issue, telling them, you are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Unfortunately, I've witnessed the cruel attack on people of different denominations, separating and slicing one another, even accusing one another of being outside the grace of Christ. It's absolutely true that we are to be of one faith, one spirit, one Lord over all, but we do not see this housed within one singular denomination or through one singular pastor. Paul had to address this with the Corinthian church, fraught as it was with division. I appeal to you, he said, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Towards the end of his first letter, Paul explains, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one will say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, beloved, we want to find our areas of unity around the Lordship of Jesus Christ and respect our differences as God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. 
Sadly, that wasn't the case in Philippi, for the men who accused Paul and Silas were imprisoned in their religious practices and beliefs and rejected the truth Paul offered. They refused to open the eyes of their heart to see Jesus, as Michael W. Smith's worship song states. Thus, they couldn't see the holiness of God, but the hollowness of their narrow-minded religious traditions, which had imprisoned them. And what about the jailer? He was tasked with their, their incarceration, and to ensure they didn't escape, he placed them in the inner dungeon. He was so concerned with obeying his boss's mandate that he even placed their feet in stocks. So fearful was he of facing the wrath of his bosses that when the earthquake happened and the doors opened and the prisoners' chains fell away, that he drew his sword to kill himself. It was only Paul's shout, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! that stayed his hand. The jailer was actually the one in prison. He was imprisoned by his acute need to achieve his boss's approval. It's been suggested that jails in that day were actually a private enterprise. And in the case of our Philippi jailer, it was a family business. This then placed the jail as part of his own house. However, if he failed at that task, the city official's punishment would be swift and fatal. He knew better to take his own life, then have the authorities do so, and perhaps even kill his family members as well. How many of us are caught up in pleasing our bosses, of following the letter, the practice that is demanded of us, even if they are at odds with our Christian faith, lying to clients, falsifying the quality of our products or services, covering for our boss's mistakes or mismanagement. Many of us have been faced with such challenges or watched as they made one bad decision after another that harmed our fellow workers or the quality of our business. We found ourselves imprisoned by our employers in order to keep our jobs. Or perhaps their lack of approval or constant negativity has withered our spirits and self-confidence, causing us to doubt our worth or value to not just the company, but to anyone imprisoning our minds to the love of God and the gifts that he's given us are our value to the world. This is yet another form of imprisonment that we need to break free from. But Paul and Silas, despite their capture, beating and imprisonment, were free. Now let's understand this picture. They were dragged to the center square, stripped of their clothes and beaten severely with rods. Then they were thrown into the inner dungeon and their feet were clamped in stocks. Yet around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Their wounds were untreated, their bodies weak with exhaustion, hunger, and thirst, but they still worshipped. Their souls were free from any religious, political, cultural, or natural imprisonment. As Sean Stevenson stated, they didn't believe any prediction that didn't empower them. Instead, they believed that when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. With every cell of their being, they believed this, and the walls shook with the power of God. Their doors burst open and their chains dropped off. Their faith in the one whose body didn't rot in the grave, in the one whose resurrection thrust aside the stone, in the one whose appearance caused the soldiers to collapse in fear, brought them freedom as well. But not just them. Just as Sean Stevenson believed that he was born to rid the world of insecurity, Paul and Silas believed they were born again to rid the sinner of spiritual imprisonment. 
When they are asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Paul and Silas weren't imprisoned by hatred and revenge against the jailer who bound them or the city officials who beat them. They ensured that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was not imprisoned to the small-minded who were trapped by their political, religious, cultural, or economic customs and practices. Because Christ had truly set them free, they stayed free, and didn't get tied up again in slavery to the law or the customs of their day. They chose to live under the freedom of God's grace. God has called us to freedom and not to be imprisoned by the customs of the world. Moreover, he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And we are to use our freedom in Christ to serve one another in love. So then let us throw off every weight that slows us down and the sin that so easily trips us up in order to run with endurance the race God has set before us. He has opened our prison doors, beloved. Let us walk in his freedom and not be imprisoned by the things of the world. Amen, beloved. Amen.